Okay, you may turn your Bibles to James chapter 1. As you turn your Bibles there, I also would like to pray for a young man by the name of David Subkota. Um, I've been in touch with David. He is a young man who lives in Cotter, in the country of Cotter. He is from um, Nepal uh, by nationality, and his wife actually still lives there, but he had to go to Cotter to get a job because jobs are really scarce to find in, in Nepal, and they're hard. Um, it's hard to make a good living there. But as he's journeying there, he's a born-again believer. Um, he longs for more fellowship there, and, um, and he's alone, away from his wife and their little one. So he just asked that we would pray for him. So his name is David Sakota. And I thought, you know, it's one thing for me just to pray alone for him, but for a group of believers to come together, there is a lot of power in the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. And Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together and agree, there I am in the midst. So let's lift up David Sukota. Father, I lift up Brother David to you. Lord, you know the struggle that he's having and having to work away from his family and his little one, Lord, his wife and little one, and, and, and the struggle that he's having for, for fellowship there. Father, you know how the enemy is coming against him and attacking him in all these ways. And his heart is crying out to you for fellowship. His heart is crying out to you for wisdom. His heart is crying out to you to be strengthened in spirit. And I pray, Lord, for Brother David that at this very moment, even as he's probably sleeping there in Cotter, I pray, Lord, that this night would be a night when you would minister to his heart, even in his sleep. You would give him your grace, your heavenly wisdom. You would give him revelation and continuing knowing how to, how to walk with you, Lord, and the wisdom of where to go and when, what to do with his family. All of these questions that are in his life, I pray that he would continue to hear your voice and be led by you. In Jesus' name, amen. James chapter 1. I have been deeply challenged and, and being changed by this word as I've been just um, walking through the book of James and felt the Lord leading me to go through this book with you. In James chapter 1, verse 18, we'll begin reading there. In the exercise of his will, God's will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we might be, as it were, the first fruits among his creatures. God, whatever work that God has done in your life, don't ever forget this, dear brother, sister. It's not by your will that you're there. It's not by your sheer determination and grit. It's not by some ideas that you came up with. It's only by one way, his word of truth that he's spoken to you. Without that word of truth, you and I live in complete blindness. We walk around completely blind spiritually. Like Paul told those, I think it was in Athens, that they're groping around to find God. That's us in our spirits. But when God speaks his word of truth, his word, Jesus said in John, is light. It shines like a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Psalm 119 says, <clears throat> excuse me. And when we realize that I was brought forth into this relationship with God, 
only by the word of truth that's shown into my heart. And that word is still, that word of truth is still the guiding light for my path. It'll change how you relate to God's written word and how you and I relate to his spoken word that we hear in our inner man that the Holy Spirit speaks a word of truth. I found in my life, even though I've known this, there are areas in my life that I didn't act like that's how it came. For instance, maybe God does something in your life or uses you in a certain way and you begin to give yourself a little credit. Now you don't do it outwardly in front of anyone, but your thoughts begin to maybe thank God for how he used me. And there's these little thoughts that become in is because, you know, I was careful. I was disciplined. I obeyed. And the emphasis can be what I'm doing for Jesus instead of this utter complete dependence. Lord, I can only do what I see and what I hear from you. That's how Jesus lived. In his discourse with the Jews in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8, Jesus said these amazing words. This is God in the flesh, Jesus, who before Abraham was, I am, he said. And yet he said these words as he lived in this physical body. I can only do what I hear my father saying to me and what I see him doing. That's all he could do. That was his life's actions, his ministry. Do you and I live in that same reality? Our flesh wants to take what is given to us and call it our own. Do you ever see that in your children? Even if you give them gifts, one of the first things is like, this is mine. This is mine, right? Is this mine now? This is mine. And so they become the guardians of what your gift that you gave to them. So sometimes I often remind the boys, actually, actually everything you have is mine. I bought it with my money. So everything you have is mine. It's ours. That's what our Heavenly Father is speaking to us this morning. Everything you are and have is mine. I created you. You are mine. And he reminds Israel again and again, especially in Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the prophet Isaiah, where God spoke to Israel, a nation that was going their own way, Ezekiel said, that their hearts were going after their own gain, even while they came to the house of God. You can read this in Ezekiel, where Ezekiel said, you come to the house of God to hear God's word, but your heart, is seeking your own gain, seeing what you can get from God that you can call your own. A dead giveaway on this I found in my own life is when I refer to my faith or things I believe or obey as my convictions. And these are my convictions. Really? Who gave them to you? Are they yours? Are they God's? Was it not his word of truth that convicted you of sin, righteousness, and judgment? 
They're not yours. And so the Lord has been deeply speaking to me is, Phil, anything you believe about me or in areas in which you obey me, you keep open-handed. They're not yours. They're mine. And seeing that and reminding myself again and again changes your attitude towards others about the convictions you hold. It, did is, it is changing mine. In Philippians 2, he tells us these powerful words. Have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus being the very son of God in perfect obedience to God. Look at his attitude towards the world in which he lived in. Who were deaf and dumb towards God. Right? They were scarcely hearing, Jesus said in Matthew 15. All of you guys, you're scarcely hearing. You're barely he able to hear God speak at all. Because you go about, as Paul said in Romans 3, to establish your own righteousness instead of the righteousness of God. Verse 19. This you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone... Okay, you know this now, right? You got this truth? Everything you are, everything you have came from God. His word of truth. This you know, my beloved brethren. Verse 19. But, since you know this, let every man change from who he is naturally. Now, just to give you a little illustration, most of us have seen little babies or have had little babies, right? What is the natural response of a baby, even what the doctors say is a good healthy response when the baby's born? What is it supposed to do? Be quiet or noisy? Noisy! It's supposed to cry, then you know it's alive. If it's quiet, you're going to get really freaked out. Something's wrong with this baby. Not so spiritually. The one clear sign of the new birth is that we become quiet in his presence. And we become quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Do you have a problem with anger? Frustration? God gives you a cue. An instructive word of how to deal with that anger. Zip it. Just be quiet. Don't say anything. Ephesians 4 tells us, be angry and do not sin. How do you not sin when you're angry? God illustrated, demonstrated this to us with the first man that we can read that was angry. You remember his name in Genesis? Who was the first man that we can read about that got angry? Cain. And what did Cain do when he got angry? Not yet. That was what he ended up doing. But before that, yep, Dustin. Right, God wouldn't accept his sacrifice. And God said, your face is all messed up. Your countenance has fallen. He showed the anger on his face. But he hadn't sinned yet. God warned him before he sinned. 
And if you read that, go back and read the story. God came and said, Cain, why are you angry? Your countenance has fallen. Your face is all messed up. I can tell you're angry. Cain, this sin is crouching at the door, wanting to get you. Don't yield to it. Overcome, Cain. See, God spoke into Cain's life. The moment he got angry, God spoke the word of truth to him. Cain did hear it with his physical ear, but did he really hear it? It never entered into his heart and changed his attitude. Cain heard, but Cain continued to resolve and keep the anger in his heart. And he hardened his heart against the word that he heard from God, which could have saved his soul. That's what it says. By the word of truth, which is able to save our souls. That you read in verse 21. It didn't save his soul. Why? Because it didn't enter his heart. He continued to get angry. And then it tells us an amazing thing. He went out into the field with Abel and he talked with him. What do you think he said? I can guess. Angry words. You know that song? Angry words, oh, let them never from... <sighs> Forget the words. Bridled slip. It's an amazing song. If you're feeling angry... Don't talk as Cain did. Listen as Cain didn't. And let God's word come and change your heart. I found it to be a powerful tool in my life. That when I feel angry, instead of speaking, I retreat to God's word. And ask God to speak to me. That will save you from your anger problem. Will it completely deliver you so that you never feel angry? I didn't say that. God's word doesn't say that. It'll deliver you from the result of sin, from sinning when you feel angry with your tongue and with your actions. Because once you sin with your tongue, it's a slippery slope to an action. There's like no stopping point. It's like going downhill on a snowy slope in a toboggan. Someone's going to get hurt. But let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Dear brother, sister, especially parents, do you really believe this? You see, I had to change my faith because I found myself justifying myself sometimes with anger towards my children when they disobeyed and calling it strictness or somehow justifying a angry response in my heart. And the Lord's deeply convicted me and said, call it what it is, anger. It made you angry. And don't believe for one moment in any instance, Phil, that any of your anger will ever achieve my righteousness. It has no spiritual authority or ability to take God's word and implant it into the hearts of your children. It will never do it. Not ever. And yet, somehow we fool ourselves thinking, I can give it some emphasis. This truth needs some of my emotional power. Does it? 
No, it doesn't. Never. God's word of truth is spoken and implanted into the heart, not by my words, but by his voice coming through when I speak his word. Paul said to the Corinthians, who were priding themselves in the book of 1 Corinthians, we find a church who was eloquent. They loved Apollos because he was very eloquent in scriptures. They called themselves wise. They loved to have debates about, you know, psychology and spiritual things. And they despised Paul for coming and preaching to him because he said, his speech is contemptible. I mean, it, it, you don't even enjoy listening to this guy. Not a good preacher. But Paul said to them, the kingdom of God does not come in word, but with power. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. The kingdom of God does not come into my heart and change my life. The kingdom means that Christ comes in as Lord. That's when the kingdom of God comes. Your will becomes his will becomes, his kingdom becomes established. His authority, his will is being exercised in my life. My mind, my attitude, my body, my whole life doesn't come in word, but with power. And you know what, dear brother, sister, I want to say this to encourage you parents. God has been doing this in my heart. Many times when your children want to argue with you, I found the greatest way to end the argument and walk away changes the atmosphere, changes an attitude. I don't do it because I want to somehow manipulate them. I do it because I need to hear a word. I need to hear, Lord, not talk right now. And every time I do it, I get a word. Every time. And when I turn around to speak that word, it's a word of truth that penetrates into the heart. Now I can say that in faith. But when I react out of anger, frustration, speak out of that, never overcomes the spirit. It just agitates the soul. The more I believe that, the more I will become quicker and quicker, quicker to hear. So I ask you, look at your life. As you're growing in your Christian life, are, would God say, God's judgment, evaluation, this brother, this son, this daughter of mine is becoming more quick to hear as they get older. As they grow in my relationship, they're listening more and they do it quicker. They don't wait so long. They don't speak so many of their own words. They're becoming much more quick to hear because they believe that my kingdom doesn't come in word, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it comes forth by the word of truth, which I speak to them. Then I flow it through them. Hearing, speaking. Turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to 
give you all three accounts. We're not going to read through it all of the parable. We call it the parable of the sower. And the Lord really spoke to my heart. If you want to do a very good, inspiring, some really good, inspiring listening, go to Matthew 13, Mark chapter 4, and Luke chapter 8, and read the story of how each one of these apostles heard Jesus say this. It's a little bit different. Each one of them have a few different details. But the word of truth is this. We know the story of the parable of the sower, right? A sower went forth to sow. And children, where did the seed first fall on? Do you remember the soil? In verse 18, it begins in Matthew 13. When anyone... Look, look how it starts. When anyone hears the words of the kingdom... That's the whole context. You're hearing the word of the kingdom. So the whole parable of the sower is someone's listening to the word of God. And there are a few different listeners. There are different people with different attitudes who are all listening to the same word. Verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been on whom the seed was sown beside the road. I titled this sermon, Robbed by Birds. Are you robbed by any birds? I found my life, I was robbed by birds. And there are still birds that want to come every time I hear the word of God. And these birds I call thoughts. My own thoughts, others' thoughts. That's where it begins. Because the reason the birds got this seed, Jesus said, is they didn't understand it. They heard it. They didn't get it. And so it took no root. Those thoughts quickly escaped. The word left them and they were left without it. Are you robbed by any birds in your life? As I was thinking about being robbed by birds... I realize that there are many times, even in my prayer life, and when I read the word, that my mind goes this way and that way off the text. It's like, this is the road, but I read a verse and then my mind goes off. And, and this, I'm like, wait, what? I, I got to get my reading done. I found it, dear brothers and sisters, really helpful to begin to read the word as if I was sitting, and I like to imagine myself like Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. You know, when Jesus came to Mary and Martha's house and Lazarus' house there in Bethany, and Martha was busy in the kitchen, and Mary was just sitting and listening to Jesus' words. Now, I think Martha overheard. I think Martha actually heard the same words. Their houses weren't that big back in those days. Those words had a very different effect on Mary than they did on Martha. They were hearing the same words. But what was going on in Martha's heart? First of all, she was worried and anxious. Oh, was she anxious about this big meal? I mean, she had 12 hungry men just descend upon her house and they wanted to eat. These guys were, you know, probably young in their 20s, Jesus' disciples, and maybe there were even more around him than just the 12. Can you imagine all of a sudden 12 men coming knock on your, on your door and you're in the kitchen and, 
and you're there all by yourself trying to put this meal together, and your sister, who's supposed to be helping you, is sitting over there in the living room with the men. Wouldn't you have said also to Jesus, Jesus, would you please tell her to come help me? Martha was anxious, it tells us. Anxious. And then her anxiety turned to bothered. That's the other word used. She was anxious and bothered, Jesus said. It really bugged her that Mary wasn't doing her part, her share of the workload. But Mary sat there and she wasn't bothered or anxious. She was simply sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus spoke to Martha and he said, Martha, Martha, you're worried and you're bothered about many things. But Mary chose the good part and it will not be taken away from her. You see, Jesus was, he lived in the reality that man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Jesus coming into the house was listening and his father was speaking. And so he was speaking. He didn't just sit there and wasn't quiet. He was sitting there and he was speaking because his dad was talking. So he was in obedience to his father, sharing the word. And Mary got it. She understood it. And it changed her whole life. It changed her action. Martha also heard it, but she didn't get it. She was taken up with her own ambitions, her own thoughts, her own work, her own life, what she wanted to accomplish this hour instead of what Jesus wanted to accomplish. You and I many times are a Mary and a Martha, are we not? I find those two attitudes still live in my life. And the Lord often reminds me when the Martha in me says to the Mary in me, Jesus, make her help me. I hear Jesus saying, that which Mary chose is the one good part. And in fact, Luke records it this way. It is the one good thing and necessary. The one necessary part of your life. It's good listening. So, when the birds of the air come with truth, do you listen? Or do you listen while you're busy? Now, if you've never tried this, couples, go out on a date and try it. Because listening while mom's in the kitchen or your wife is in the kitchen and you're in the office or you're doing your own thing or you're saying hi and goodbye and you're communicating is one thing, but to actually sit down and look in the eye and listen. There's a, it's a different type of listening. We men oftentimes don't listen well. That's what psychiatrists say. And I find it in my own heart. It's easy for me to say, I'm listening, but I'm on the computer. I'm listening. Yeah, go ahead and talk. Instead of just stopping. Yeah, what is it? taking a moment, looking in the eye, because often what is communicated is more than words. It's body language. You see it in their eye. Sometimes better than what their mouth can express it. And if you miss that part of it, with Jesus or with each other, we become Martha's. And God has a word for Martha's in Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah 55, God is speaking. 
And this word really spoke to me again as I, as I reread this through this and prayed it to the Lord. It begins in verse 2. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Boy, isn't that often what we do. I'm so busy earning money for what is not, there's no spiritual life in it. It's not really bread for my spirit. And it doesn't satisfy me. And the moment I die, it'll be a heap of ashes. There will be no spiritual truth or life in it anymore, which will endure the fire of death. Why are you doing that, God's saying? People, this is his people he's talking to. Why are you doing this? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Hey, incline your ear. Now, how do you incline your ear? How do you do that? Have you ever done that? It's a word that God uses to people many times in the Bible. Incline your ear. Incline your ear. How do you incline? Well, we know how we recline, right? We call it a recliner. Whoa, we go back. Incline is up. An incline of a hill is meaning you're going up. Does it remind you of the words in James where God says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Incline, come. That's what he's saying. Come to me. Step away from your busyness. Step away from your own thoughts. Step away from your own ways and come. Come with this intent. I'm coming to hear. Step away from this conversation and come to hear. Listen that you may live. And this is what you'll hear. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will make you a promise, God says. Dear brother, sister, every time I've come to the Lord, his word has come with a promise. Like Paul said, it's not yes and no. No, it's yay and amen. That's it. When Jesus spoke these words, even though people tried to argue with them, they couldn't delete them. They couldn't overcome them. Jesus spoke as his father was speaking words of life. And even though heaven and earth pass away, his words will never pass away. They come with a promise. Jesus said, this is the covenant that I will make with you. This is my blood. This is my life, my new promise. Every word of God spoken is a promise of life if we're here. And unfortunately, the devil wants to make it, as Anthony said this morning, he used to hear it, a word of dread, a word of truth and consequence. That's how God spoke in the Old Testament. And yet they were words of life, but the people hung on to the consequence, the fear. Oh, what's going to happen if I don't do this? What they should have been thinking about, look what's going to happen if I do this. See, that's how we hear too many times. What's going to happen if I don't do it? Instead of listening, saying, Lord, what will you do if I do it? I come to hear. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. And here's what it is. The faithful mercies shown to David. 
When you think of one character in the Bible who was showered with God's mercy, who lived in God's mercies, don't you think about David? I do. He's the first one. If I would say there was a man of mercy who was an example of God's mercy, it was David. And God's promise to us through the Holy Spirit is, I will make that same promise to you. Those same mercies that I gave to David, I will reign over your life just like I did with him. If you'll come to here, it's not a word of judgment. It's a word of mercies. And James tells us a little later, when we receive mercy, we can truly give mercy. Maybe that's why we're so full of judgment all the time. Because we're receiving very little mercy from God. Because we're not really listening. We're not quick to hear. We're still so, we're like Martha's. And look what came out of Martha's heart. Judgment. Even as she was listening to Jesus, words of eternal life. This is what the Lord has to say to us. In verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his thoughts. Disengage. Quit arguing with your thoughts. Thanks for coming, guys. It was so good to meet you, Ryan. Um, and I find that when the Lord speaks into my heart and says, repent from your own thoughts, something happens. I have to say, Lord, I'm wrong. Is that easy for you to do? In any argument, in any kind of thought process you're thinking about, to just stop and say, Lord, I'm wrong. I'm so wrong. I'm thinking about this wrong. My attitude is wrong. And he says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Do you recognize that? Every, every time I think, I have to stop and say, no, these are not. God's thoughts are much higher than my thoughts. He says in verse 9, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And when I begin to change my thoughts, then anger dissipates. My attitude changes. And that's then how we can change our way of relating to each other, to God. Our ways change. And that's what the Lord says. Change your thoughts and your ways. Now listen, how do you do this? The only reason this is happening is because you are beginning to listen. That's how you started it. Listen carefully to me. Incline your ear. Listen that you may live. You've come to listen and this will be the result. And then God says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, seed to the sower, seed to the speaker, words to the speaker, bread to the listener, so shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, without accomplishing what I desire, what God desires, and without succeeding in the matter for which it is sent. And this will be the result. Here's your attitude now. Anger is gone. For you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. You will go out with joy 
And I tell you, dear brother and sister, it happens every time. When I turn around, I disengage, and I come to here. And I receive the mercies of David, that promise. There's a word of promise put on my heart, and I turn around, and I begin to speak that in faith. I go out with joy. I turn around, and I come back into the conversation with joy. And I'm led forth in peace. It comes from, I didn't have time to go into Mark 4. You can maybe write that down or look it up. That's the other recount. And then Luke chapter 8. But it comes from having an ear that's inclined to listen. The posture of our hearts, like Jesus, to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. To listen to the word. So, are you being robbed by birds? Like Martha? All the words of Jesus that he spoke, she was being robbed of. And it didn't change her heart until she did something that changed everything. It doesn't tell us how it changed, but I believe it changed. Until she was so frustrated, she came to Jesus and yelled at him. <laughs> She drew near to Jesus. Even though she drew near, full of words, she drew near. She didn't stay in the kitchen murmuring to herself. She came and brought her problem to Jesus. And Jesus changed it by speaking a living word to her. And he'll change you and I's attitude, my heart, my frustrations. Whenever I'm willing to just stop what I'm doing and even take my frustrations to him. And hear what he has to say about it. Father, I pray that you would do this continual work of salvation. Speaking your word into our hearts. Inclining our ears. Don't let us be robbed by the birds of our own thoughts, our own ways. And all the voices that are out there in the world wanting to rob us. In Jesus' name, amen.